Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game of me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's the start of a new week, which is probably for the best, because last week was a, a little bit hectic, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I, I, by, by Friday I, I was completely lost and confused. Yeah. Um, and, and I went, I went to the student ball on on Friday night, oh, yeah. um, and then had to catch the five o'clock train from Liverpool to London on uh, Saturday morning. So that wasn't good. And then, they, of course, they cancelled the train. Oh, um, so yeah, were you invited to the student ball? You just turned up. Um, uh, we, 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 I was invited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had to pay, when well, rightly so. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. It, it, pay. The trouble is, I, I've been teaching them sort of six or seven hours beforehand. And then, of course, everybody's scrubbed up. I go, well, there's nobody in hoodies. I don't recognise a soul. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, you're nurturing these young souls. They shouldn't be making you pay to go to their ball. It's an outrage. Oh, it's, 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 it's an honour to be invited anywhere. That's true. Age, yeah. so I, I take it. Now, have you recovered from your satisfaction at being mentioned in the House of Commons on Thursday? Um, it, 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 was, it was a bit surreal because I've, I've never heard of the MP. Oh, really? um, so, so, that's very kind. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'm officially in Hansard, uh, yes. as is the price of football podcast. It, so it, we, we, it's a it, it's it's a communal um, uh, uh, honour, um, and yeah, dead chuffed. And I've even mentioned three times in the uh, in the white paper, which yeah. are going. This is, this is, they, they do 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 they know? <laughs> I, I'm the person that put the phrase. Arkansas Chuggerbug into the Visprosaprophanosaurus <laughs> because if they did, I suspect my name would have been struck off. <laughs> my favourite bit about the mention in the House of Commons was somebody who sent me a link to Parliament TV or Parliament Today or whatever it's called, and, <laughs> and said it's seven hours thirty five minutes in. All <laughs> 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 oh, right, okay, I'll make, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> um, it's questions day, here, and our first question yes. is a good old fashioned. Straightforward, on the nose, simple one for you about one of our old, old favourites. It comes from Tim Derbyshire, which is uh, pleasing, yes. really, because it's about Derby County. Uh, Tim Derbyshire says, do we know exactly what happened with Derby County's HMRC debt? Did HMRC accept less than 100% in the end? Well, yes, they did, because I think we'd said at the time, uh, given that HMRC effectively have new powers and new rights, which they've been fighting for for many years, um, if they accepted less than 100%, it would effectively set a benchmark going forwards in respect of other clubs. But uh, in the end, they, they accepted 25%. So they were, I think they were owed £26.3 million, and they ended up taking just over six. So uh, the taxpayer took a, took a hit for over £20 million. And I do think there was a bit of gaming taking place here. And as always, you know, we say separate the football club from the owners. You know, the, the yeah. owners, in in my view, um, when when COVID hit, uh, the, the, the chancellor at the time, who was in fact Rishi Sunak, he he did relax the rules uh, in terms of outstanding uh, tax owing. He said, "Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you time to pay." Uh, time to pay is not the same as not paying. Um, but uh, Derby County did run up um, 
some quite quite considerable tax debts. You know, and and remember they were they were deducting they were deducting PAYE from the salaries of staff and not handing it across, and they were selling goods and services, collecting the VAT and not handing it across. Um, and then uh, the EFL said to its members, you know, we've. Yeah, we, 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 at the time we, we we all in fear of losing football clubs. Uh, the EFL uh, got an arrangement with the Premier League where the the Premier League would underwrite some loans which the EFL could take out. The EFL, the Premier League would pay the interest, um, and th- then the clubs could borrow from the EFL. And, and the, the, the sums involved because the EFL have just published their accounts. The sums involved are are quite significant. Um, but uh, by all accounts, Mel Morris refused to uh, take out one of those loans. So what his motivations were during that period of time, because uh, from speaking to other people connected to other clubs who did take out loans and have had to repay those loans to the uh, to the EFL, um, I think it's fair to say that they're unhappy because that they played by the rules and, and Mel Morris said, no, no, I'll... Uh, uh, I've, I've, I've got bored of football, and uh, I mean, you know, it, it cost him a lot of money. I'm not denying that, but uh, it, he he got bored, uh, put the club into administration, and uh, the uh, the tax authorities have lost twenty million pounds as a result of that. So, uh, sadly, Tim uh, HMRC, and I think they probably did the right thing because ultimately, we want a Derby County, and if if HMRC had played hardball, the administrators wouldn't have been able to sell the club um, and, and satisfy all of the EFL, EFL rules. And therefore, potentially, the club would have gone into liquidation. And therefore, going forwards, um, HMRC wouldn't be collect, wouldn't be picking up VAT or PAYE from the the new company uh, under David Clowes. And you know, the more I hear about David Clowes, the, the more impressed I am. He, he does seem a uh, a pretty honourable man from from people that I've spoken to, uh, not not only around the club but uh, in, in the in the world of football itself. Well, that's good news for Derby County fans listening, Kieran. For Southend United fans listening, who uh, Wednesday the first of March is the day uh, when the winding up order is due to take mm. place, unless Ron Martin pays what he owes HMRC. Can Southend offer a deal? to HMRC now, or do HMRC only do deals if a club goes into administration? Um, th- th- there's always a deal on the table. Um, HMRC are pragmatic. Uh, they've also got completely fed up with Ron Martin, who has he- – he's not just done it uh, since we started this podcast. You know, the South, South End have appeared far too often on, on this show, especially over yeah. the course of the yeah, last yeah. 12 months. Um, but but talking to people and uh, you know Matt, Matt Slater who's been on this show Matt writes for the Athletic he's he's yep. a uh, absolutely devout uh, Southend United fan you know he he's written a fantastic article sort of summarising uh, Ron Martin's activities um, he he could put some he he could come up with an instalment plan right um, and HMRC said yeah okay but this this is supposed to be the final 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 warning. Um, but as has anybody that's ever you know, tried to get their kids to go to bed knows that final, final, <laughs> final warnings. There, there's always another potential um, because it's actually quite difficult to, to put your kids up on eBay um, if they fail to go to bed, <laughs> as has been my experience. Um, so uh, 
the one thing that we know about Ron Martin is that he does like playing brinkmanship yeah. um, with the tax authorities, looking at some of the reports. And uh, yeah, this is where I, I think some of the local journalists, and I think we've got Chris Philpott, uh, or Chris, I think it's Phillips, or at South End, and I know the guy that used to do the, the Berry story, the, the, these these guys who are football journalists had to become uh, you know, legal experts and accounting experts and so on, but they they have kept uh, they, they've kept the fans informed, and, and it doesn't look great uh, it, it, because it's not just the one point four million pounds which is owed to HMRC. Yeah, there are still people who have not been paid their their January wages by Ron Martin, and uh, you, you just feel uh, increasingly uneasy uh, about what's going to happen on, on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, before we go on, Kieran, I should probably explain to listeners who will have noticed that uh, I sound a bit bunged up uh, at the moment. I'm only a, a pub doctor, but I suspect it's because it was so cold on the way to Sellers Park on Saturday night that I actually bought a bobble hat, uh, which I won't, I won't be doing again because the response was less than enthusiastic from those around me. Um, and, of course, as somebody pointed out, if we'd won, I'd have to wear it to every game. But exactly. I, I think what happened is that I, the bubble hat, I had pulled the bubble hat down so my ears were warm, but my nose was cold. So I, <laughs> I think that might have done something to my sinuses. I'm not I'm not an expert. Don't quote me on this, but that's the reason why I'm a bit bugged up. Phil Chater has our, has our, has our next question, and it's oh, okay, this is right up your, your strasser. Uh, Phil Chater says, when football clubs talk about building a new home, they often talk about being able to generate new income as the stadium will be used more than just on match days. With this in mind, Rotherham United have been in their new, if we can still call it new, stadium since 2012. Given 10 years of records then, is there a way, brackets Kieran's spreadsheet library, you can compare the previous 10 years at Millmore to the years at the New York Stadium and discern the differences and what they are? In other words, has it worked and made more money for them? Right, Phil. Um, sadly, um, when Rotherham were playing at Millmore, um, for the majority of the time there, they were uh, what is classified as a small company. Um, oh. And a small company doesn't publish an income statement and therefore it doesn't have a, a, a revenue breakdown or a wages breakdown. So I, I, it's not for the want of trying because um, I, I suspect I was possibly the only person uh, whilst the Carabao Cup was taking place who was on company's house records trying to find um, (laughs) Rotherham United's accounts from 15 years ago. And I did find them, to be fair. I did find them. But the the quantum of information that would be able to answer that question properly uh, wasn't available. In terms of the New York Stadium, um, Rotherham do generate commercial income of in in a very good year they'll they'll make five million pounds um, now yeah that part of that will be sponsorship um, I, I think they they do have some connections with with the owners in terms of some of their their sponsor and commercial income um, and uh, I, I'd also like to say from from my observations they they are the one one of the more transparent clubs in terms of of what they do put out so so fair play to them you know I've, I've noticed in in the last few years they they are certainly um, putting out 
information which they hadn't done historically. Um, if, if fans want to use it, yeah, fans want to get a feeling for it because, yeah, for me, a fan is, a, is an important stakeholder of the club. Um, uh, and, and, and those words have been echoed by the uh, white paper. Indeed. By the way. Um, that's great. Um, and, and, and carry on with the good work uh, at Rotherham. So um, from what I can see, they are, moving, they are moving in the right direction in terms of the amount of commercial income which is being generated on a, on a regular basis since uh, the move to the new stadium. Having said that, the, the biggest difference in terms of uh, revenue is, is the difference between the broadcast income in League One and the broadcast income in in the championship um and, and certainly from from what what i'm seeing and hearing sort of following yeah again going back to the white paper is that a lot of people seem to be coming up with solutions between the premier league and the championship which which is fine yeah but it it seems to be the case of creating premier league 2 so having premier league 1 and 2 in all but name and if you are in leagues 1 or 2 tough um, and and that's that's the thing which is making me quite twitchy. I um, mean, I was on Five Live with Mark Palios of Tranmere. We were doing we we're doing some stuff, being both talking to to Adrian Charles, and um, it was quite clear that that Mark doesn't feel particularly happy um, with uh, with some of the proposals uh-huh. because if if we're going to solve issues of distribution in in revenue in football. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not looking for a Cuban-style socialist utopia or anything like that. Uh, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool deserve to generate more money because they have a global interest, and, and I think that must always be remembered. And and they, they they generate eyeballs, which which can then help the clubs lower down. But at the same time, we we mustn't just have a model which which solely addresses issues in the Championship whilst weakening the Premier League and weakening Leagues 1 and 2 at the same time. So, uh, yeah, l- listening to some some of the, the comments coming out um, has has been intriguing. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the libertarian wing of the uh, Conservative Party, uh, in my view, ha- haven't covered themselves with glory. They, they appear to be the patsies of the, uh, the Premier League in, in trying to make accusations that as far as I'm aware, um, are, are are pretty pretty flimsy. Um, you know, th- this is not going to be a government body. Um, I I don't think it's going to have 200 employees either. I don't know where, where some of these scare stories are coming from. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm a great believer in in light touch regulation. Um, you know, nudging rather than forcing people to do things, um, and also just disincentivizing bad behaviour tends to mean that you, you don't need a lot of regulation on a day-to-day basis because the, you know, the wrong ones have effectively been uh, encouraged to go elsewhere with their uh, obnoxious behaviour. Yeah. We all know you like a nudge, Kieran. Uh, <laughs> it, it might be interesting to ask Mark Palios to come on the show then because I think certainly our conversations about the, the white paper and the independent regulator and our interview with Tracy Crouch, which went out on Friday, uh, reflected what we consider to be an overall positive response. So if there are people in the game at that level that have reservations, it would be interesting to hear what they were. Two things on the Rotherham thing, though, Kieran, that, that £5 million figure, how does that compare commercial income-wise with other clubs 
in League One. I mean, I would guess Sheffield Wednesday, for example, would be higher. But how does it compare to similar sized clubs? It, it's very good. Right. It, it's okay. uh, some some clubs will have. Um, you know, total income of five million. So, right. so let, let alone total commercial income. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, people have been to the New York Stadium. I've, I've been to there and to Millmore. Uh, they they are substantially different. Um, it is it is geared towards being a bit more multifunction, and uh, I think that's to the credit of the people involved. Uh, I've, I've also got to say, it's one of those grounds where you are made incredibly welcome yeah when you go into and, and, and some stewards and, and they, they start having a chat with you you know how, how long did it take you to get here and having oh, you having a good season and, and just sort of uh yeah I've, I've, I've absolutely enjoyed my time to go in there uh, yeah. apart from they're one of those sides which which always uh always seem to have the the, the golden sign over us you know, i've never never had a yeah. decent result here whenever i've been there you talk about the stewards showing that sort of normal sociable behavior that gets us londoners really suspicious <laughs> what are they after? They're trying to, what they're trying to distract me from? What's going on? What they're keeping me talking? And this, you mentioned the the small company. Is yeah. there, is that an official? Is there an official classification of size of company, or as you just go, that's clearly a small company? No, no, it it, it is set out in statute in in the Companies Act. Is it? So oh, okay, right. yeah, it's uh, it's less than fifty employees. It's a, it's a net assets total. And a level of revenue, which which I don't actually have to hand, but it is very much um, set out in in legislation. The rules are revised every few years to take into consideration um, uh, inflation. But what we actually find is is in in reality, ninety nine percent of companies uh, that that exist uh, are classified as as small, oh. uh, and the vast majority of them don't have to produce an income statement. And and then you get into a um, a, a, an interesting discussion as to well, should football clubs be treated as a separate case? Yeah, will this be part of the uh, the licensing rules of the regulator? I, I know some people are, are are very adamant that that should be the case. Equally, I've spoken to club owners and say, well, you know, we're effectively subsidising the club. What, why should we produce additional information? Um, and, and then it comes down to again. Why have a regulator in the first place? It's because football, in my view, places is, is a unique uh, bond between town and uh, and community, which which doesn't arise in any other industry. You know, if, if I said before, if my local garage goes bust, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, you know I might know the guy that owns the garage. If, if a local supermarket closes down or a local factory, you're sorry because people are losing their jobs. Yeah, for football, it it, it is different. Because it's that it's that lifelong bond. Yeah, we started the show, Kieran, by talking about balls, and here we are, question three, talking balls again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's been an accusation that's thrown at us before, but we are genuinely talking balls, thanks to a question from Callum Burdick. And Callum Burdick specifically is asking about Premier League balls, mm. and says as Nike brings out a set of new three. Premier League footballs each year. What kind of cost does this incur on the club, which has to have tens or hundreds of each ball to train with each week? Is this a case of balls being supplied by the Premier League, or do each club choose how many they want and pay for them individually, and then buy more when they get kicked over the hedge? I don't think it happens a lot. <laughs> Premier League clubs. Also, what happens to these defunct balls at the end of the season or their usage periods? I think that's a question that the Baroness and Ali would like to ask. What happens to the defunct balls? 
when their <laughs> their time is up. And we have talked about this before, Kieran. But I think again, it's one of those questions that football fans are always interested in, which is why I'm always happy to to revisit the economics of balls. Yes, yes. Um, and, and if your if your balls are feeling a bit defunct, <laughs> why not use Manscaped 4.0? Good work. And there we are, free plug from one of our favourite sponsors. Good work. <laughs> Um, right. Well, I, I, I've done a bit of uh, nerdling around, and it would appear that in the Premier League, um, the Premier League have a, a deal with Nike. Uh, and yeah, we've always had this thing at the World Cup, haven't we? That all oh, the ball's slightly different from the last one, and it's and it's got it swerves a bit more, yes. and it's more difficult to control. And you always get these accusations. You go, well, it's, it's, it, it can't be that much rounder than the la- than four years ago, <laughs> but. Um, Nike, by all accounts, they supply each club with 120 um, match quality balls. Now, the match quality balls are the ones which uh, retail at 125 quid each. Right. Um, in addition, they'll supply them with with training balls, which are a lot cheaper. Um, and I, I believe that this is this is where it does get quite intriguing. Um, the club effectively orders three sets of balls but uh remember there's a summer ball and there's a winter ball with with different colorways and so on so the clubs decide um how much of each type of ball they're going to order and if they want to buy any extra then they have to pay um now you know i I would imagine therefore that the the sort of the ball monitor uh is is an important person because you, you don't want tens of these going missing on a regular basis, you know, this is the type of thing you can imagine. If Uncle Terry was a ball monitor, he'd be he'd be nicking the the real ones and replacing them with with ones he used to get at Woolworths, um, <laughs> which which weren't necessarily match match quality. Um, in in the EFL, um, intriguingly enough, you you seem to get one hundred and twenty five balls. And initially, mm. I thought, well, this is this is a bit strange. And the EFL deal, I think, is with Puma, and it used to be with Mitre all the time. I think Puma have taken it over. Uh, and then I thought, well, hold on. Um, in the EFL, you, you're playing you're playing 46 matches a season as opposed to 38 in the Premier League. So therefore, you've got you know, 23 home games as opposed to 19. Um, if you want to buy an extra ball in the EFL, apparently it will cost you £55. And what happens to them at the end of the season is that they are they're effectively recycled within the club because they will then be passed down to the academy and they'll be used you know uh, this year's balls becomes next year's academy balls um and then the year after the academy will pass them down to you know the youth team and so on um so th- they aren't they aren't thrown away um but you know they they they, they do have a, a limited life because uh you know we what what we used to do at sunday league football is that we 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 used to caress them uh, professional footballers hit a football very hard and, and and they do actually wear out yeah they do actually sort of have a have a limited life um but they 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 are used effectively until till their, their end of their useful life right. if, if you think for a second here and I'm going to pick up on the fact you said you used to caress your balls you've got another thing <laughs> coming i i think uncle terry would welcome a job as ball monitor cuz i mean i understand normally he gets put in the kitchens doesn't he Yes. <laughs> um, Richard Wharton clearly is a caring uh, sort of man. Mm. Richard says, and again, this is a subject we have talked about, Kieran, but it's one that um, 
doesn't go away. So, again, I'm happy to revisit it. But Richard Wharton says, I'm not a Wolves fan, but living close to Wolverhampton, I see lots of chatter from them on social media. Um, I see quite a lot of chatter from Wolves fans. I live miles away, Richard. That's how social media works. But Richard's picked up again about disquiet regarding the owner's Fosun. And Richard said, it's been apparent to me for a while that Wolves' inactivity in the transfer market was potentially linked to Fosun's poor investments and heavy debt interest repayments. But can you perhaps help unpick this a bit for the average supporter, please? And we do get asked a lot about um, concerned Wolves fans about what the owners' intentions are here in carrying on ahead, especially with the sort of uncertainty about whether China wants their businesses to continue investing in English football. Yes. Um, when when Fosun first acquired Wolves, it, it was at a different point in terms of the attitude of the Chinese Communist Party to um, to football. Um, it, it used to be very expensive. Uh, there, there was a lot of Chinese investment. And also, um, the Chinese Super League was one which, yeah, th- three or four years ago, it, it I remember one window where it spent more than the Premier League. Yeah. And then it all went very quiet. And what we've seen is the I think the Chinese Communist Party felt uncomfortable with what they saw as conspicuous spending. They felt that that was inconsistent with the way that they want to be represented. So one of the things that they introduced was a was a super tax um and, and therefore when you signed a footballer from uh, from Europe, I think you had to pay a hundred percent on top of the transfer fee as 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 a as a tariff, which meant that th- that money dried up. Um, the the clubs themselves, many of which were effectively factory clubs, um, in the sense that they were owned by uh, other uh, other industries, other institutions, they they were not making money. Um, because there's there's a huge amount of interest in in the Premier League and and uh, in, in particular, but also other parts of European football. So trying to get the crowds, yeah, you know, they thought they well, if we get the players over, then then the crowds will flock, and, it, and that that didn't quite materialise. Um, and we have seen a sort of a, a slow withdrawal of of Chinese investment. Now, in the case of Fosun. Um, initially, when they acquired Wolverhampton Wanderers, they've they've got quite a close relationship with a with a well known agent, yeah. who, who's just who's just a pal, by the way, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but he has been very good at uh, at bringing players, especially uh, Portuguese players, to, to Wolverhampton Wanderers. And um, Fosun were willing to underwrite the costs of running the club, and and. It, and the, Wolves lost quite a bit of money in, in getting to the Premier League, and they didn't actually make a lot when they first arrived either. Um, Fosun's loans maxed out at £126 million. And, and what, what they did in 2021 was they said, well, from the way I read it, it's right, we're going to write off those loans. Okay, We're, we're not going to ask for the money back. Um, they didn't even convert them to shares. They just said, no, no, we, we, we ain't going to ask the money back. But then it, I certainly picked up the vibe we ain't going to put any more money into the club. You know, it's effectively, that's your limit. And what we've seen Wolves do subsequently is that therefore they've had to borrow from financial institutions. So they've, they've presently, in the most recent accounts, which are 2021, so we, we were expecting an update hopefully in the next six weeks or so, um, 
they've they've borrowed sixty million pounds. They're paying interest at, at over seven percent, so they're paying you know, four million pounds a year in interest on these loans. That's yeah, that's that's a player and a half's wages. Yeah. Um, so it is it is substantial. Um, and the other thing that I've noticed, and in respect to you know, Richard's comments that well, you know, wolves seem to be um, much more cautious in in the transfer window. Although I think they 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 did break their their transfer yeah. record in in yeah. January. Um, what, one one area I always stick my nose into is well, what, one reason why you're not spending money is because you already owe people a lot of money, and in the case of Wolves, they've got 110 million pounds worth of transfer fees in instalments unpaid um, as far as summer 21 was concerned. So it's a bit like having a credit card. If if you're thinking of spending on your credit card and you you see, oh, Jesus Christ, this is how much you already owe, then then you're probably inclined to think, I need to focus on getting that balance down to something a bit more reasonable before I start splurging again. So so that appears to be the case um, as far as Wolves are concerned. Um, I think perhaps some fans got quite excited when when Fosun's originally arrived and, and they did splash the cash, and therefore that set a benchmark. Yeah, that, that created an expectation uh, amongst fans that that level of spending would ca- carry on ad, ad, ad infinitum, and, and that's proven not to be the case because I think Fosun's circumstances as an institution have deteriorated uh you know it's certainly in covid they were hit quite badly um the way that the chinese economy is operating is uh is is different you know they, they've been far more cautious um in in the covid uh, sort of environment than than we have here in in the uk for example um and Foson have been hit and therefore they say well let's look at our, our portfolio of investments and well, you know, wolves is one area where where we can cut back, and therefore we're, we're, we think we shouldn't be putting more money into the club. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion. You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this 
is the show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Thomas Butcher has our next question, Kieran, and Thomas is a Manchester City fan, so I'm going to really annoy him by taking that opportunity to congratulate Manchester United on winning the Carabao Cup this afternoon. Um, uh, Thomas Butcher is a Manchester City fan who lives in Berlin and says, I often find myself watching videos from the official Manchester City YouTube channel to get information about the club. However sanitised his content may be, it helps make up for the lack of English language football programming here in Germany. Uh, we happen to have a friend of Ali's around this afternoon who is uh, a German football fan who was less impressed when I pointed this out to her. Uh, and she said, because what Thomas could do is learn bloody German then, basically. Yes. Because she says, oddly enough, there's not that much German language football programming over here. But nevertheless, taking that aside, uh, Thomas has a good question. Thomas says, seeing that many of the videos have over one million views, I wonder whether the revenue generated by clubs from YouTube make the channels and their media output in general self-sustaining. And more importantly, could it be possible that clubs actually make enough significant profit for these channels to reinvest into the team? Um, I, I think where we are presently, Thomas, is is we've still got some way to go. Um, YouTube, and I, I look at a load of stuff on YouTube, um, the the royalties you get on YouTube from, from each viewing are actually very, very small. And also, if you talk to performing artists in the music industry in relation to Spotify. Yeah. Um, the, the number of times you have to be downloaded before you before you get, say, 100 quid is, is frankly ridiculous. So I, I don't think it's it's particularly lucrative. Um, I, I appreciate, as, as a Manchester City fan, you, you, the last club you want reference to is Manchester United. But if we take a look at Manchester United and MUTV, um, yeah, Man- Manchester United is a big brand. Uh, it is a big global brand. It makes seven million pounds a year from uh, MUTV, which is not a lot of money. And, and in fact, it, it loses money. It, it it does various bits and pieces of swapping um, in order to break even on an accounting basis. But but it appears that it's losing um, yeah quite quite a substantial amount of money each year before various recharges. So if, if Manchester United can only make seven million pounds a year, and and to put that in context, um, you know, a, a good match at Old Trafford, you know, I think I think I would imagine that when they played Barcelona on Thursday night, they would have probably got the thick end of six million pounds from from match day tickets alone. Yeah. Um, and here you've got MUTV generating seven million for a year. Mm. So by Manchester United standards, it's probably bringing in one one and a half percent of total revenue. Not not to be sneezed at, um, provided uh, you're turning that into a profit. But all of the football clubs are trying to unlock the Pandora's box of um, some form of engagement, be it audiovisual, be it augmented reality, being it virtual reality. Um, and the reason why the Glazers appear to be getting cold feet uh, to a certain extent with regard to the sale of the club is that the offers that have come in to date have been in the region of you know, around about $4.5 billion. From From what I understand, they think it's worth considerably more because they, they do believe, uh, you know, effectively going back to Thomas's original point, and, and this is this is something which, which I think – 
let, let's make reference to City when um, when City uh, City Football Group sold fifteen percent or of of the club, which I think is now seventeen percent to Silver Lake. That was on the basis that all the parties believe that somehow football clubs are going to start to extract a lot more money, especially from overseas fans. But that that's not yet happened, and it's the same. It's the same with the Glazers. They they're convinced that in five years' time we'll all be right out wandering, you know, in in Nairobi, in Sydney, in in Delhi, wherever it's going to be. People will be wandering around it with with uh, with virtual reality goggles, watching a an experience from Old Trafford um, when a match is taking place, and be willing to pay money for the privilege. Uh, but but we're not quite there yet. I believe, Kieran, off the top of my head, it was Man City were the first team to announce that they were going to have a stadium in the metaverse. I believe were they not? We, did we discuss that? Um, that? That's right. Yes, they they did that with Sony. Um, that's probably about six to eight months ago, and and since then, um, it, it's it's all gone a bit quiet, as have many things in in relation to the metaverse. Um, it, it's quite a nice sexy abstract co- uh, uh, concept um I, I know that the traditional broadcasters are, are fully aware of it and they are doing what they can but uh it, it's it's not going to be easy to get people to spend more money on uh, watching tv at home oh, sorry on, on watching tv on watching football at home uh but there and you know some of the some of the initiatives which which Sky have taken historically. Remember, they they introduced three D TV, and I, I I had one of those three D TVs with goggles, and it, and it 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 just didn't work. It it just spooked me out, and you, and you spend more time sort of looking at your hand, bringing your hand closer and further away from you. you go, wow, that's that's really spooky. I think, well, hold on, I I, I see in three D anyway. My hand, why why am I why am I trying to do this with a pair of goggles on? Um, so. The technology is not there yet, um, uh, Thomas, uh, in order to really make money. But that is certainly an area that football clubs are keen to adopt because sport going forwards is probably going to be the only communal uh, watching of, of broadcast media that is going to generate huge numbers, with, with the exception, I think, of some legacy shows such as Strictly, which which are quite family-orientated. It's also the, the 3D cameras that we used during that experiment were huge. I mean, they were the size mm. of a small car. And it, it doesn't take a lot to make a cameraman moan. It takes even, less, <laughs> it takes even less to make a sound man moan, but the cameraman really didn't like these 3D cameras. You, you mentioned Barcelona, uh, Kieran, and I meant to ask you this uh, after we interviewed Tracy Crouch from earlier. Um, their defeat against Man United, which means they're mm. not in the last 16 of the Europa League. We discussed at some length earlier, uh, this, not late last year, they, they've essentially mortgaged their future broadcasting rights for the next 25 odd years. Mm. So not getting into the, champion, the, the Europa League is not a good start to that arrangement, is it? it it's not, yes. Um Expect one or two sales this summer. Um, right. I, I would surmise uh, uh, Tebas and La Liga. Te- Tebas can be a complete pain in the backside with some of his rants, but uh, the the cost control rules that they have in La Liga um, are 
pretty strict. And yeah, Barcelona will be smarting um, as a result of that. They uh, they 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 did recruit players uh, over the course of last summer, and uh, they they've they've not delivered that the return on investment in terms of progress in European football. And yeah, if if Manchester United can make five or six million from a home game in a Europa League match, well, I, I can assure you Barcelona can do the same. Yeah. So it, it is it is going to be uh, it, it is going to have an impact upon their, uh, their their budget for next season. Yeah, and I, they've got to knock an eye opening amount of money off their wage bill, haven't they, in the summer? Yes, yeah, and and they they that they, they sign players as 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 if uh, yeah they were living in La La Land. Um, last summer, and uh, I think that's going to come home. But I, I suspect we'll be seeing more economic levers um, being sprung out like a magician's uh, rabbit over the course of the summer. And remember, economic levers is Barcelona speak for payday loans. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't mention La La Land, Kieran. It's one of the few things that Ali and I disagree on. Uh, oh, but both. I, mean, I, I, I think it was a really good film, but I thought the ending was terrible. It demanded a happy ending. Rosalie said, life's not happy, bad things happen. She said it in a rather personal way, I thought, but there you are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Will Grieve is a Reading fan. and Will says that his club, Reading, always seems to be one of the last teams in the country each season to release their kit. Now, rumours around the fan base always seem to be that the earlier you release your kit in the summer, the more you pay, and that the club do not believe they'll make up the cost of releasing the kits earlier with sales. Is this true? I'm sorry if I sounded like I was laughing, Daniel. I was. I was just laughing at the concept of. I, I just love fan base rumours. I just love the way. Yes. Fans, fans, well, you know why that is, don't you? I know it's not a Reading accent. It's a very difficult accent to do a Reading accent, but they, I love the fact they're sitting in the pub and going, "Of course, you can't release it early. We can't afford it." Is it true, Kieran? I don't think uh, there is any credence to that. I'm afraid, Will. Um, I, I did do some research on this. Um, Reading's kit was available in the club shop the day before the season started, yeah. which is that is pretty poor. I'll be honest. Um, there are supply chain issues yeah. uh, affecting many industries, as as we know uh, as well. Given that we are going to become uh, turnip experts, I think in this country <laughs> for, the, for the next six weeks, uh, judging from what's happening at Waitrose. Um, uh, and Reading's third kit wasn't launched, launched until September the 29th. And I'm going, yeah, that, that they, I think they've missed a trick there. So so this is all to do with supply chain issues. And, and uh, I think look looks as if Reading switched to Macron uh, for 22-23, Macron or Italian uh, manufacturer, made good kits. Yeah, there's no, no issue with that. It was the first season. But what the football clubs will do in terms of their relationship with uh with the manufacturers is ultimately the manufacturers don't care what the club is. They do care about how quickly the shirts will sell. Now, if you've got a limited number of factories and you've got one or two clubs where you can guarantee a hundred thousand units or, or, you know, in, in the case of Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Spurs, you know, we know, we know, we know the big clubs and we know who they are. Um, that's where the manufacturers will focus their attention. And the the other clubs be, become an afterthought. You know, if 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 Manchester United want uh, you know, want to sell more kits, Adidas will 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 arrange that. You know, very very quickly. Um, I, I I cannot buy a Brighton kit. Uh, you know, and we're only in you know what January February. 
uh, yeah, they, they've sold out, and it, and it looks as if they're not going to get any more because we had a huge surge in kit sales uh, pre-Christmas due to Mitoma, uh, and, and there was huge numbers of uh, Japanese fans coming just to see him and buying buying the merchandise. So so now you're going to get it. And you know, from, what, from what I'm hearing, and, I'm, and I may be wrong because I've got, I've got no channels here to the club, is yeah, tough. You're not, you, they're not, Nike aren't going to supply any more kits to Brighton because they're simply not big enough a club as far as um, – Nike are concerned, and, and the focus will be on Chelsea and Liverpool and uh, you know, uh, PSG and so on. And, and I get that because they will be saying when we want to order more, yet yeah, we need another 50,000 units, and Brighton might be saying, well, yeah, can you get another 2,000? It's, it's simply not worth changing a, changing a production uh, schedule for, for, for the small volume. And therefore, in the case of, of Reading, um, unfortunately, you're – not very high up their pecking order when it comes to that relationship with Macron. It doesn't mean that you're any less de- less deserving as individual fans, but this is business, and they they want produ- they, they they much prefer long production runs with high volumes of units because they know that they'll sell instantly. Um, whereas it will take for it for a smaller club such as Reading, it takes longer to sell the units, and it it it, it simply means a, a slower process, which which is frustrating from a fan point of view. These must be distressing times for you, Brighton fans. Not only have Waitrose run out of fancy lettuce and heritage tomatoes, they've run out of Brighton shirts as well. <laughs> yes. That's terrible. I thought uh, just yesterday morning, I thought Ed was being very patient when I explained to him that in my day, you got tomatoes in the summer because that's when they grew. Uh, he didn't yes. get tomatoes in the winter. It turned out he had his headphones on. So uh, <laughs> we, that's what happened. You, you had tomatoes for about two weeks. That was my, we didn't have. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have such a thing as seasonal uh, cooking in South London, Kieran, as you say, but my mum's only concession to seasonal cooking was that on the 1st of July, she took the ketchup off the table and put salad cream on it. Um, <laughs> um, on the 15th of July, the salad cream went off and the tomato ketchup went back. It was the happiest day of the year, basically. It was Christmas, the day the clocks went back, and the day the salad cream disappeared back into the cupboard. Um, Dan Walls has a question. Um, that occupies a lot of football fans, Kieran. This is one of those top five questions that I get asked in pubs, certainly. Mm. And that is, can you tell me how a compensation fee is calculated for players in youth academies? Is it a standard fee calculated on the number of years that the player is in the academy? Does the category of the academy have any influence? And does the team losing the player get any say in the figure? Um, Right, Dan. This is uh, determined by... The Elite Player Performance Plan. Um, now, the Elite Player Performance Plan does have some positives in in terms of the the potential quality of the uh, of the care that you get. It also has some pretty big negatives because this was introduced by the Premier League to clubs in the EFL as a strong arm tactic um, a, a few years ago. And effectively, um, the Premier League had been saying for a few years, we will give you what's referred to as solidarity payments. We will actually give you a a share of the Premier League TV money. Um, and the EFL, uh, A, said thank you very much, and B, became quite addicted to it. And then the Premier League says, um, yeah, we, we said we'd give you some of these solidarity payments, but we've not committed to paying them going forwards unless you sign up 
to the elite player performance plan. So this was very much um, a, a vehicle and, and, and is a negotiating tactic, um, quite, quite a Machiavellian one. You know, give some people some money, get them addicted to the product and then start, uh, st- start to negotiate some concessions on the back of that. Um, so we now do have very much a fixed tariff. Um, if you've had somebody in your academy between the years of 9 and 11, and this is regardless of the academy level, you would get £3,000 for each year. So this effectively means that if, let, let's say that you're, you know, you're Oxford United or you're Exeter or you're Morecambe, and you, you've had a kid and they've been at the academy for a year uh, and they've done really well, um, a Premier League club can come along and say, oh, God, that kid looks really promising. Here's £3,000 and 24 hours later, the kid disappears. Now, part of me thinks, you know, I'm, we're dealing with children here. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, and I am, you know, as somebody that works in education and, you know, the Baroness has worked in education, she, you know, she is very protective of of children and, some, and also uh, equally concerned about how some parents view their children. Um, as 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 monetized beings or potentially monetized beings, um, when you get to the age of twelve, the amount of compensation you get is per year between twelve and a half thousand and forty thousand pounds, and that does vary according to the level of the academy. Um, so so there is there is a fixed fee, and and you and you can therefore work out that would be now should that young person go on to make first team appearances if um if they are playing in the premier league it effectively works out as 15000 pounds per appearance up to the first 100 appearances and and i think i think it it, it effectively tapers off um as you get sort of 80 90 100 so i think i think you can get up to 1.3 million pounds on top of whatever you would have earned from them coming from the academy. If they get as far as the championship, it's not £15,000 per appearance. It, it works out broadly as around about £2,500 per appearance. But once again, once they get to 100 appearances, that's it. You know, that, that's, that, that's where the, the, the agreement uh, stops. So you know, the, the Premier League clubs can therefore pick up these kids very, very cheaply. Um, they, if, if you if you end up getting somebody and they've cost you you know one point three one point five million pounds, um, and they go on to be a, yeah a successful Premier League club, sorry a, pre- a successful Premier League club, so a, a successful Premier League player, then the Exeter or the Morecambe or the Accrington probably hasn't got a very good compensation yeah. as a result of it, and we have seen quite a few uh, clubs therefore either downgrade their academies because they think well you know what's the point yeah. yeah if we do our job well and we produce some talented kids they're going to be picked off by the vultures for effectively nothing um so they've either downgraded them or they've just said we're not going to run academies we'll i know brentford have got a, yeah. a b-team model yeah. i think birmingham have done similar i think huddersfield have considered it though, though, though some of them might be having second thoughts about um getting rid of the academies altogether so it's a it's it's a bit of a sorry tale. Uh, I mean, there are some positives about EPPP. I'm, I'm not denying that, but the the motivations behind it were purely monetary. And uh, as Gary Neville often says, if something looks a bit strange uh, in football, it's all to do with money. Yeah. 
uh, here the Premier League clubs can't lose, really, Kieran, can they? In the, un- mm. in the unlikely event that a good player slips through their scouting system, they just pay peanuts to pick him up from uh, whoever did find him. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Ross Jones. And Ross says, I know you've discussed the multi-fan ownership model in the past, but I've noticed a new version of this called New Fan, uh, N-U-F-A-N, they discuss fans voting to buy a club with a shirt colour, etc. There's limited information on their website, and they seem to be at mm. an early stage, but they're offering various subscription packages ranging from £4 to £9 per month. Does this seem legit? It doesn't sound it, Kieran, I have to say. Um, how do you define legit? Um, I, I think would oh, be the, Uncle Terry, the start Uncle point. Uncle Terry would be proud of you there, Kieran. <laughs> the, 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 the acorn hasn't fallen far from the tree there has it <laughs> um, right let, let's take a look um, at Newfan so this this is a company which was formed in November 22 um, it consists of people I think there's four shareholders of the company called Newfan Limited but they have also set up a football club called AFC Crew which plays in the Crew and District League. Now, um, that's level 14. There's nothing wrong with that. It's Parks Football. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, They are currently top of the league. They're they're absolutely smashing it. Um, But what are you getting for your £4 or £9 per month? If you're paying £4 a month, um, and I I like the fact that you can't have more. You you get a share for your £4 per month. And no one person can have more than one share, so therefore they can't be bought out. You can't sell the shares, which seems to be a bit of a downsider, a sort of downturn. Um, and if you do buy your share, it means that you're a board member, um, which potentially could mean you, you get an awful lot of people who call themselves board members. If you pay the nine pounds per month, you appear to get exactly the same. You seem to get exactly the same benefits, except you get a framed certificate of your share, sure. which, which to me seems, um, you know, quite a lot of additional money for relatively little benefit. Um, and if you stop your subscription, you lose your right to be a shareholder or a board member. So it, it's an interesting concept. Um, in terms of getting a financial return on your investment – um i'm a little bit skeptical um and, and for that read uh, i think you're going to get very little out of it whatsoever um but uh yeah it's it, it's an it, it's it's an idea um you know what's going to happen to that 3 pounds 99 per month um I, I don't know uh yeah if if it if it goes yeah they the, the people involved say you know we're fed up of the corruption in football we're fed up of uh, you know, oligarchs and hedge funds and so on. This this is going to be fan owned, and and to be fair, it, it is fan owned. But uh, yeah, eight, eight pounds ninety nine per month. Yeah, that's that's the thick end of what I pay for my my TV license, and I get I get more than a chance to go and you know uh, get get streaming of of a football match in in a crew park once a fortnight. So it, it to me it seems a little bit pricey uh, in terms of what you're getting. Um. You know, the people might say the same about uh, you know, Patreon and and the price of football. That's although true. we are available for as little as a pound a month, we are. Um, and for that, you you get our you get you get our eternal good thanks. Yeah. Um, so, 
it, it it's not a scam from what I can see. Um, it seems to be well-meaning, uh, but I, I would like a little bit more in the form of governance and transparency as to to what's happening with that money. Um, you know, how is it being utilised? They've you know, it, uh, because it's you know, it, it's either you know, forty-eight pounds a year or you know, what nine twelve? So it's a hundred, you know, hundred eight pounds a year for a football club that. He's playing in the in, in Parks footballing crew, and therefore it's probably got realistically, yeah, what twelve, fifteen home games a season. Um, you know, that 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 does seem quite quite expensive. Yeah, and that five pound a month extra seems to be quite a lot for a frame, essentially. Yes. That's all you're getting. Yes. I should point out, Kira, we uh, at the Price of Football are available for nothing. It's it pay, yes, pay, absolutely. It's only Patreon that you have to pay for. Uh like you say, it's going to be a quid. Our final question, Kieran, comes from Tom Foy. Uh, and it's a cracking question, Kieran. A proper existential question slash <laughs> pointless pub conversation. This is the sort of conversation that football fans would love to have all around the country at any stage of the season. Uh, and you can't answer it. I think I well, you can answer it, but I think actually I'm going to suggest that some football fans stop listening at this point because then it will take the fun out of the question. Um, because Tom says, is it more expensive to be a football fan now than in the noughties, the 90s, the 80s or the 70s? So is the price of a match day pie, pie programme ticket, etc., more expensive now when you take into account inflation and how it correlates with average disposable income at the time? Uh Yes, it, it is more expensive to be uh, a football fan. Um, what, what I did is um, I went back to 1980-81, and, and the reason why I did that was because that's when I started at uh, at the University of Manchester, and um, I, I used to regularly go to to both Old Trafford and um, and Main Road yeah. because, and then on a Friday night I'd go to you know, Rochdale or Stockport or Tranmere. Um, and and then I wondered why I never had any friends at university. Um, it's because I spent all my time either going to uh, football football grounds in the northwest of England, or or watching obscure uh, obscure indie bands. Um, but I, 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 the reason I was able to do that was watching football was cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you could in 1980-81, I could go to. Old Trafford and watch a match in the Stretford End for one pound fifty, or I could go and watch a match in the Kipax, and I think it cost me one pound thirty. Um, if you wanted to sit, it would cost you two pounds. Now, if we then apply inflation since then, um, since nineteen eighty, inflation works out as six hundred and three percent. So, therefore, if I wanted to sit, it would cost me um, at a comparative level twelve pounds and six pence to sit in a seat at Old Trafford. Now, you know, we know that subsequently we've had the Taylor Report uh, and, and all, all grounds are sitting. But look, looking at Manchester United now, um, you, you can't buy a you, you, I used to go, and, oh, yeah, it's, it's Saturday morning, wake up, uh, what should I do today? Uh, I'll, go, I'll go and watch United or go and watch City. But if I, you know, I didn't have any assignments or, or you know, sort of stuff to do. Um and and you just you, you just turn up uh, and, and you pay your money over uh, through through the turnstiles. Now you can't do that. I mean, you know, to be fair, you know, the, the Premier League is fantastically successful, and therefore you have to book your tickets in advance. But 
if you want a ticket at Manchester United, you need to be a member. That membership realistically is probably going to cost you 35 quid. And then if you do want a seat, um, look. I, I, I looked at United's website today. You know, clearly, the remainder of the season is, is practically sold out apart from hospitality packages at eye-watering numbers. Sure. But you know, a, a seat, a, a decent seat would cost you in the region of £58 from what I can make out here. Um, so considerably higher than the 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 twelve pounds and six pence that uh, that you would pay in terms of inflation. With, with regards to catering prices, they've they've gone up broadly in line with inflation. You know, you, you, I don't think I don't think you get particularly ripped off um, at, at football grounds any more than you used to. Yeah, you know, and you and I we can both remember going to the cinema when we were kids, and you know, it was, it was eye watering for a pet, you know, packet of Spangles. Um, in in those days, and and it's you know if, if you if you go today, you'll you'll pay over the odds. But but cinemas have always have done that, and and football grounds have always been a bit of a premium price um, compared to to where you can get food and drink uh, uh, locally. Yeah, talking of football in the old days, uh, Kieran, we'd obviously like to uh, recognise and mourn the passing of John Motson, who was the voice of football for many of us in the old days. It's a cliche, I know, but he was. Very supportive to me when I started my uh, career at Match of the Day 2. Very helpful. He was also a very good man to go out for a drink with because you never bought a pint. He would simply stand at the bar, raise his voice a little, and the whole pub would go, gosh, John Watson, what would you like to drink? And he'd say, <laughs> he'd say well, there's a few of us, lads. That's fine. It's great. Uh, so, yes, the, um, the, the game uh, will be less rich without mm, him, to be honest. Absolutely. Uh, so we send our condolences to his family and friends and all his old colleagues. Uh, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, as Kieran mentioned slightly earlier, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back uh, on Thursday for our news pod, which may, Kieran, you never know, lead to us speculating how much Graham Potter's getting paid off for. Um, uh uh, in the meantime, I shall hand you over. I nearly forgot your name there, Kieran. That's terrible, wasn't it? I should. <laughs> I should. It's because we did so many pods last week. I've already mentioned it. <laughs> I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, th- thank you for all the support. Um, it it has been a busy week at Price of Football Towers, uh, and and it wasn't for the uh, the groovy vibes that we <laughs> we get from you. Um, we, we wouldn't do it because uh, I don't think I've ever been closer to divorce with the Baroness than I have this week. Perfectly <laughs> frank with you, uh, you know, four four Price of Football shows, uh, two with Theo Delaney on on uh, life goals, and uh, a lot of of media stuff um, in, in relation to the white paper. Um, so, uh, get, get, getting those warm vibes is, is really kind. And also some of, some of the very kind words that, that people have said with regards to us going through 7 million downloads, yeah. which is we're still, is still baffled by, but, but we take it all the same. Um, th- there's other ways in which you, you can support the, the club and you, you can show us a bit of, uh, uh po- positives. Um, and, and that's to go on to your app through which you download the show and, and leave a review. Um, because according to producer guy, it helps in terms of, uh, you know, we're often asking guests and that's one of the first things they tend to do. And especially if the the, the reviews are, are, are relatively up to date, that, that helps. Um, and it, it, it improves the algorithm, according to Producer Guy. Um, but apparently, it doesn't really matter what you say. 
Um, so you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Bez from the Happy Mondays and my Uncle Terry. And it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us in terms of the ratings. And I can assure you, I would listen to that show with mouth agape. Do you know, I've got a feeling your Uncle Terry would probably get on quite well with Bez. I think he would, yes. um, You know, you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of friends when you were younger, Kieran. It's possibly because you used phrases like groovy vibes. That, that might not have helped. Plus, um, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, we're not in the business of uh, promoting other podcasts here, Kieran, but that Theo Delaney pod is a cracker. It is, it's a, yes. It's a really, really good listen, that Theo Delaney pod. So I would recommend that to anybody with a love of football and indeed a love of music, which I'm sure is one of the two reasons why you enjoy doing it so much, Kieran. Yes, yeah. It, it's like it's like Desert Island Discs for football fans. Yes. And, and I spent hours and hours agonising because you are limited in the night. You know, I think there's eight goals. Yeah. Um, including the goal that you hate, and I think you can probably guess the goal that I hate the most um, from from the night of shame at the Amex. Um, so yeah, it was it was wonderful, and Theo is also an absolutely splendid chap. Yeah, it is. I, I found it. I, I reckon it took me two. The first first five bits of music and the first five goals easy. Then after that, it's really difficult because yeah. there's so many. Uh, anyway, yes, yeah, a great pod. Do this to it. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Proviso Football. The Proviso Football.